0: If you ask for $10,000 and they give you $20, you write the same thank you note. You know, don't, don't ever take it personally when they say no. I wrote a grant years ago to a local zoo. I tried to get it in and they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't see how this really fits our goals. And so that's why we said no. <laughs>
1: This is the Community of Theatre, where we shine a spotlight on the community theatres, the local theatres, the thousands of not-for-profit theatres across America that stage over 25,000 productions each year. We're here to talk about what they do, why they do it, and how you can be a part of it. Today, we're going to follow the money and ask, where do my donations go? To answer that, I'm joined by Doug DiGirolamo. Hello, Doug. Hey, I know you as an actor. We were yes. recently in a production together at the Gaslight Baker Theater. Yeah, which is a, It's a community theater, quintessential small town community theater yeah. in the town of Lockhart, Texas. Population around 15,000. Give or take, yeah. The venue is something like 220 to 250 seats. That sounds right. So yeah, I'd call it a large, well-established community theater, but definitely that core definition of what a community theater absolutely. is. Absolutely.
0: When you think of community theater, this is sort of what you
1: think about. And Lockhart is half an hour south east of Austin, which is far enough to have its own unique identity. It doesn't feel like a suburb. Oh, yeah.
0: They, they definitely have their own sort of culture out there.
1: The reason I asked you, Doug, in particular, to talk about this topic is that you have experience with a range of theaters in administrative capacities. Right before getting involved with Gaslight Baker, you were involved in a brand new startup theater right here in, in Buda,
0: Yes, that's right. Uh Hill Country Theater. Uh We started up around uh, 2017, 2018. And to really just get that started, it was just meeting people uh who were interested in theater, you know, through Facebook, through the Kyle Library. And after a little while, we decided that we really wanted to give this a try. So we put on a Shakespeare of one of the local high schools over the summer and... From there, it was sort of history until COVID. And so COVID kind of did that project in? COVID, yeah, it sort of did us in. You know, A lot of live venues were shut down. We didn't have everything that you know the other bit larger theaters have. So unfortunately, we did have to fold during that time. But we had quite a run.
1: That is an unfortunate end to the project. We lost a lot collectively during that period. But from your time with Hill Country Theater, we see that you have experience not just with established theaters— but also, it's complete startups with no, you know, space of their own yet.
0: Absolutely.
1: And looking further back on your resume, it looks like you worked in professional capacity with a number of other uh, venues. What was like the largest group you've been involved with?
0: Uh, that would probably have to be the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival. Probably about forty-five minutes to an hour north of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. They were mostly a uh, a summer theater company. They were equity associated, so they would go to New York. We would uh, hold auditions. We would actually bring Broadway actors. Back to this small little college <laughs> in Pennsylvania and we would just do shows and rep. We would do eight shows uh, in two and a half months, including full musicals, Shakespeare. We were doing shows in reps. So you could see Romeo and Juliet in the morning and, uh, you know, a, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum that night, all on the same stage. The organization that put that on, was that a for-profit organization or was that another not-for-profit? That was a not-for-profit organization, yeah, run by a board of directors who appointed a uh, a producing artistic director to essentially run the day-to-day, come up with the artistic stuff. And they would, uh, the board of directors would come back in and sort of make sure he's doing the job correctly, uh, of course, put in their own input about how how they would like the the business run.
1: Okay, so you are familiar with a pretty wide range of types of theatrical companies. Absolutely. So before we get into the specific question of where your donations go, I want to zoom out a little bit and say, why are donations a thing? Why are people always asking for those? When I go to see a show... The vast majority of the time, I pay to buy a ticket. Shouldn't that be where the money comes from, is ticket sales?
0: You know, uh, in a perfect world, that's exactly what you want. You want ticket sales to match everything that you're doing on stage, budget-wise. But unfortunately, that's not exactly how it goes. So... In-kind donations, uh, monetary donations from people outside the theater, uh, people who have an interest in seeing their community grow, are really needed to supplement a lot of the uh, ticket sales. What are in-kind donations? In-kind donations are like people volunteering their time as well. Oh, okay. Uh, You'll find a lot of people, um, they'll donate, uh, you know, if they have a landscaping company, they'll donate their time to, let's say, mow mow the theater's lawn if they have a lawn out front. And that would be an in-kind donation that they could then write off on their taxes. Like, I volunteered my business to do X, Y, and Z. And normally it would cost this, so I'm going to take that and subtract it from my taxes.
1: Got it, okay. So then that does kind of get us to, where does all this money go? Because most community theaters, at least, are staffed by volunteers. Most actors are volunteers. Most places I've worked... Yeah, There have been a few places where there was some stipend for the director or music director, but for the most part, all the roles are volunteer. So
0: where is all this money going? Absolutely. A volunteer is probably the greatest thing you could get in a community theater. The money that you're asking your patrons for, you're asking donors for, is going to a variety of different things. While a ticket sale might go to help pay for that specific show, you also have a building to think about. You have infrastructure. Your theater may have a loan that they'll need to pay back at some point. So these donations are going to things like that, as well as making better theater. If you can get a, you know, a couple thousand dollars raised in a very short amount of time, you can do a lot with that. You can improve your own infrastructure.
1: I guess I'd like to kind of break some of that apart just to, to get an idea of the scale of numbers. First of all, some production companies don't have a venue, like the, the one that you had going here right before that. Yeah. I presume you generally aren't able to find landowners, business owners who are just willing to give you the space. Then you, you've got to rent the space, right? So what what are the kind of numbers you're talking about, are, about renting? A th- and I know this will vary oh, across sure. the, the, the country. And
0: Absolutely. The, it really does vary about where you are, who you are are and of course who you know and that's where a good board of directors comes in i knew many members of the board for the baton rouge little theater they managed to work out an agreement with the city of baton rouge to rent their facility their theater for one dollar a year for 100 (laughs) years wow so you can get lucky like that a lot of times you know especially bigger cities they have all these buildings that nobody uses they're empty they're old they don't make any money. Might as well donate it. The city can write it off too. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and then when when I had Hill Country Theater, we actually rented uh, the old Butte City Hall right on Main Street. Oh yeah, yeah. So we uh, we turned their old city council chambers into a stage. You know, a little different kind of stage
1: some of the theaters I've worked with, maybe a decade back, way off Broadway, Community Players, which is up in the north side of Austin, Leander, they, over the years, I, th- I think they don't have a permanent home right now, but previously they were in two different kind of industrial parks or strip centers. Do you have any sense of what that kind of space costs?
0: It can be very expensive. When I was up at TexArts, uh, up in Lakeway, northwest of Austin, they were in, in a strip mall. A couple doors down, you could find a thundercloud subs. <laughs> and I know using that space required quite a bit of outside donations. It required big donors to help keep just that space going ticket sales alone weren't going to do it. So I mean, they were probably looking at maybe two, three thousand dollars a month just in rent. Yeah, I can imagine
1: that easily. And just for listeners who aren't familiar with the Austin area, uh, Tech Arts is in the the west side of Austin, which is generally perceived as the affluent part of town. Definitely, a lot I
0: mean, of a lot of tech moguls up there. Yeah,
1: I, I did work in a production there that you were production. Manager I was a production for? manager for yeah, yeah, and that was that was a wonderful experience. And that theater actually has a couple of equity contracts. They felt, on the whole, sort of like a community theater, but they were in that kind of in-between space where they they were.
0: Absolutely, they were. They really wanted to get their equity membership there so that they could bring in better talent, which in hopes would bring in better ticket sales, justify the cost of a ticket. And they could also go back to their board of directors and say, look who we're getting. Look at our talent now. We should be asking for more money from X, Y, and Z.
1: Okay, so... Back to the kind of fixed costs of companies that do have their own space. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of them, like the Gaslight Baker, are in historic buildings. Oh, yeah. And when you own a historic building, sometimes things break
0: and you can have I imagine tremendous unexpected expenses. Oh yeah, absolutely. In, in an old space like the Baker, which is an old theater that's been around for more than a hundred years, you're going to find a lot of stuff breaks down, and that's where a lot of your money is going to go. You're going to go to fixing an AC unit that was maybe put in in the '80s. You're going to go to fixing, uh, you know, pipes, toilets, sinks that have been there since probably the beginning, since you know the '30s and '40s. And then that's going to get expensive, especially in such an old place where you have to be very careful about what you rip up, what you don't, what you replace, and how you replace it. So all that comes into costs.
1: Yeah. I'm in a 2,000 square foot house here. The air conditioner died a couple of years ago. We had to replace it, and that was something like $14,000 for a residential space. Yeah. I have to imagine that for the Gaslight Baker, which is, I'm going to guess, like, Ten thousands square feet, or I mean, something. Definitely, it's
0: definitely more than a three-story building. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: I mean that's that's got to be just yeah.
0: in the tens of thousands, easily. Absolutely, and I can tell you uh, from working at the Baker and uh, you know being on their board, we do know that there are quite a lot of electrical problems that are that are going to need to be addressed very soon. That's something that they're going to have to be looking looking for in the future, funding for at least.
1: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, that is definitely a big set of expenses. If you have your own permanent home as a theater company, you know, maintaining it, otherwise oh, yeah. just acquiring space.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, when when you have your own space and you're paying for it yourself, you're probably looking at maybe 30% of your income is going to have to go just to building upkeep. I mean, just for cleaning it, just for fixing things that break, you know, in shows, People aren't always the most careful. <laughs> Accidents happen. Things are getting used quite a lot. Uh, toilet gets clogged. There's a maybe a couple hundred dollars down the drain. I right. mean, it's probably a, an entire day's performance worth of ticket sales just to fix something that your audience never sees.
1: Yeah, outside of facilities themselves, are there other major fixed expenses that are just part of having a, a theater company?
0: Yeah, one thing your theater companies, especially nowadays, need to have is insurance. Insurance, insurance, insurance. <laughs> so important. Not just specifically for uh, your actors, but you need to have insurance for everybody who comes to see a show. And then there's specific insurance for boards of directors that protects them against certain liabilities or wrongdoings that the company may, may come down later. You know, such as, um, say you find your treasurer was siphoning off funds to pay for a new car. Well, with board insurance, you, the insurance company would essentially pay for you to litigate against that board member. So it's important to, to always have your bases covered. Do you end up
1: having to go to a variety of different insurance companies to to sort all this out? I mean, how do people even learn how <laughs> how to to manage that sort of thing? I mean, you yeah. have a, a a bachelor's in theater, just but cover the administrative side. Is that it something does. you start learning in school, or is this stuff that you pick up just working in this? Well, a little bit of both.
0: You know, upon graduation, there's not like a list of insurance companies on the back of your diploma. You sort of learn it as you go. The more theaters you go to, you see different policies. You see what policies include what and for how much. And it also depends on your size of theater and how much you're able to spend. I know for Hill Country Theater, when we purchased our insurance, it was maybe about $500 for the year. Only because we had very limited seating, the number of shows that we were doing. They also had somebody come out to take a look at the building Luckily, ours was built in the early 2000s, so everything was really up to code, and it also depends on what all you have there. We were holding a lot of set pieces. We had lighting fixtures, and all that's got to be covered under insurance, too. So these are expenses that you're not necessarily thinking about.
1: Well, that occurred to me, too, just the the point of of set pieces, storage. Like some companies I know will tear down and basically throw away entire sets after every show because they can't afford storage space. Others, like the Gaslight Baker, fortunately has some right next door. But I presume that's a benefit of being kind of in a small town where real estate's
0: slightly cheaper. Definitely. A lot of of theater companies, they're going to look at the cost of that stuff. Is it cheaper to just buy new lumber every month? Or is it cheaper to have a couple of storage units where we can put this and go get stuff in and out? And as you get bigger and you do more grand productions, eventually maybe you're flying things in, you're going to have to be building very specific stuff. So it's probably more cost effective to get rid of it than to save it, which in community theater, I mean, you know, you try to save everything. All right. Well, before we move
1: on to the kind of per show expenses that a company has? Are there any other fixed
0: kind of categories that I'm missing? Um, as far as, I guess, maybe fundraising goes, um, a theater should always be fundraising. Oh, that no was going to be the what. whole second subset. Oh, wow. Subset. Okay. So, well, I'm getting of, ahead of you there. <laughs> what,
1: first, where does the money go, and then where are the other places the money comes from? So, Yeah,
0: so the money definitely goes to the upkeep. Um, your you know, ticket sales don't necessarily... Just cover the show they have to cover every other part of the business. Concessions doesn't always cover all of concessions in a perfect world that's what you would want to do you'd want everything to, to even out and everything to make profit but with you know um, show rights being as expensive as they are now, especially for musicals you're looking to spend maybe five 000, six thousand dollars just to get the rights for a show that's the kind of a high end. Uh, that's about the median. Wow, that's about the median for a musical. Well, uh, what kind of number? I mean, it's per production, right? Per performance. Yes. For Annie, get your gun. For instance, it was probably about forty five hundred dollars. Okay, and we for had... the rights to that for three weekends. Right. So a performance is what we had originally scheduled. there. That's right. A lot of that has to be paid up front, right? And so you, so you, do, you have to have that money there beforehand before you can even begin to do the show. Not to mention we had to rent special equipment software so we could actually have our music for it. Uh A lot of that is unseen expenses that your audience is benefiting from.
1: So I guess like step back there and Mm -hmm. say, I'm going to start looking at the budget for a new production. What are the kind of major categories I'm looking at?
0: Sure. You're thinking, I want to do a show and I want it to sell and I want it to be good and I want it to have a big cast. Because big casts always sell. Yeah. So say you wanted to do, you know, like an Agatha Christie, uh-huh. uh, The Mousetrap or something. You're going to go find out who owns the copyright to The Mousetrap, which I believe is Samuel French. Mm-hmm. Samuel French is going to look at your theater. They're going to say, okay, how many people do you seat? What is your annual budget? And then they'll come up with a rights contract for you. It's usually around maybe a hundred to a hundred and fifty dollars a performance
1: for a straight play.
0: For a straight much play. Much cheaper than a musical. Much cheaper than a musical. Straight plays are much more affordable and easier to honestly, easier to get up. You don't have yeah. to worry about musicians, choreographers. Depending on the play, you don't have to worry about massive scene changes. Plays are mostly written to be more accessible to theaters everywhere.
1: So there's the the licensing side of things. Then what are you actually
0: paying for? I, I assume costuming and set are the main. Yeah, things? you're you're to do a lot of uh, sets. Everyone says, you know, at least all the theaters that I've been to, sets are going to be easy. We have this, this, and this. Well, it's not this, this, and it's that X, Y, and Z you need to worry about. It's A, B, and C, these super specialized items uh-huh. that are really going to take up a lot of your budget. And a lot of theater companies will look at these shows and go, oh, well, we have all these flats and we have all this. We could definitely do it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're doing something like the producers, you need the same set twice, one in regular color and the other completely painted in white, it all happens between a musical number. (laughs) Yeah. So you're thinking, yeah, I have all these flats and stuff, but you're not thinking about we have to build it twice. We need all this extra paint. Where are we going to store it when it's not being used? And most importantly, how are we going to get it built? You have to manage volunteer time. That's that's so incredibly important. That's something the Gaslight Baker Theater is really trying to get a hold of, especially after COVID. According to the U.S. government, a volunteer's rate that is taxable is about $23.50 an hour. That's what it's valued at. That's what it's valued at. I mean, if volunteering really did pay that, I think we'd all be volunteers.
1: I'm probably getting ahead of myself to a a different topic I want to hit later, but I I have worked with a number of theaters where they want you to log your volunteer hours. I'm guessing that's tied to specific grants?
0: Yes. You want to keep track of everybody who's helping out. Not just for grant purposes, but for insurance purposes. If somebody slips and falls during a set build, and you know they they get up but they say they're fine, and a few days later oh no they got this big welt. Turns out they really pulled something bad. You really have to know exactly what happens. You want to fill out incident reports, things like this, things that really require uh, an administrative office. To take care of because, you know, your regular director or costumer isn't going to know what
1: to do. Well, we're definitely coming back to grants in a minute, Uh, but to to kind of put a bow on the whole per show expense kind of thing, what is the ballpark we're looking at actual expenses for a community theater like the Gaslight Baker putting on a straight play, like you said, an Agatha Christie or something where you have eight to 10 actors?
0: Yeah. Figure you're doing a little bit less known show with about five people. At about a hundred dollars a performance, say you do it for three weekends, three six nine—it's mm-hmm. nine performances. So that's at least nine hundred dollars, uh, not counting in taxes or anything. Then you're going to want to look at sets. Assume that you have all the flats you need. You'll need to paint. You'll need to get specific props for it. So you're probably looking at maybe another one thousand to fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. I mean, to keep it conservative, costuming. As long as you're doing something not you know, too out in the woods, most people will be able to have their costumes at home or they'll be able to pick up at Goodwill, so that'll save a lot of money. But doing specialty shows, like a show in Victorian times, you're going to have a hard time finding those costumes, so you're going to want a bigger budget for stuff like that. You never know. Lighting. You could have a lighting fixture go down. I know lamps inside of lights can cost about $40 to $50 just to replace. Yeah. You know, but if you have an LED, you're in luck. Those are, those are pretty simple. Then, you know, you look at other things like marketing. Marketing is definitely something I see community theaters really not putting a lot of their money into. This is how you get people into your shows. Well, it and, seems like marketing, for the most
1: part at this point, would be a volunteer job because you do so much on Facebook, Twitter, or social media. You, yeah, I guess there's frequently printing for posters, that sort of thing. Is that where the expenses
0: come in? Absolutely. And really, to get a lot of those Facebook likes, to get that uh, that audience that you want, you're going to have to buy an ad from Facebook or, or Instagram or Twitter or however you're doing it because just sharing it does not get it to as many people as as you think. Yeah. So, definitely having a good sized marketing budget really pushing it out with new content constantly. You always want to keep it in people's faces and that can costs it can cost a little bit of money. Yeah, for sure. You say a little bit, though. you're Yeah, uh, it could definitely cost quite a bit. We're talking
1: uh, about like $50 for a show. We're talking in the thousands. I, I suppose it's probably whatever you want it to be. It right
0: really there. is. Uh You know, with social media marketing the way it is, it's it's very affordable. It's very accessible to anybody who wants to advertise something. I know the way Facebook does it because I've, I've used them before. They, you know, for $25, dollars will push it out to between this and this amount of people. Mm -hmm. It it can really vary. So you want to be very specific in who you you push it out to. And the more specific you are, the less sort of people you might get. So you're going to want to spend more money to make sure that all those people really see it. So if you're looking at maybe a week's worth of good advertising on Facebook with just one ad – uh you're probably looking at maybe fifty to hundred dollars, depending okay. on your your range. Now if you're gonna be doing that for an entire production, say you wanna do it as soon as the cast gets announced, you know, you six weeks rehearsal time, you're gonna be doing that for a hundred dollars for six weeks. It can add up for sure. Don't forget printing for posters, any any other promotional materials like that. And just
1: for I mean reference Last time I heard anyone talking about the actual cost of a full production, it was a, a regional theater up in Austin that does public domain light operas and such. And I think they were talking about in the $25,000 budget for a run of a show is that yeah. sound like ballpark of what most community theaters are doing no
0: definitely not <laughs> okay
1: so that really is regional is a little bit bigger it really
0: is it's yeah a regional theater like uh like large theaters that you find in austin like the zac the zac would yeah. be considered a large regional theater okay uh there's actually a word for that uh lort large operational regional theater uh, there are different categories of Lort theaters depending on your budget and your audience size.
1: Who, who
0: defines those categories or
1: cares about them? Is that more, it's mostly something like Samuel French, the licensing companies? They're the ones concerned about what you
0: are? That's actually a great question. There is a group that takes care of stuff like this. They're <laughs> called the, uh, TCG, Theater Communications Group. Really? Yeah, they send out a magazine to all the Lort theaters. They sort of keep everything sort of organized between them as far as, you know, helping out with uh audience reach, special seminars. And there's a group for community theaters as well called the American Association of Community Theaters, AACT, mm-hmm. uh, which if you're running a community theater, if you're listening to this, join the AACT. It is just so valuable for anything that you need. Discounts on scripts, supplies, they have seminars, they have new play festivals, they give out awards to community theaters across the nation. Mm-hmm. It's like a hundred dollars a year to, to join
1: something like I've that. I've been involved with community theater for something like twenty years and this is the first time I've heard of you know, theater insurance. I would imagine starting up a new theater, which I think people are trying to do pretty often, and that's the kind of person who's most likely to be going back and listening to this kind of podcast. I'm guessing an organization like that could provide helpful
0: checklists for these are the things you should really be looking into as you start up. Absolutely. One thing I found very, very helpful was their board organization section. Once you join, you 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 get all their resources, and their resources go on and on. They have specific sections about uh, how to run a board of directors, who is required to do what, and how each person is responsible for certain aspects. And it also helps you find people to, to help run your board, because you don't want an entire board full of actors, because they'll just want to do the plays they want. <laughs> uh, when you're putting together a board, you want at least, minimum... One person who owns a business already, an accountant, and a lawyer. You want them to volunteer their time on your board in some way. Uh, and you will save yourself so, so much headache.
1: Circling back to your example of the mousetrap, last time right. I was in the mousetrap, which was like five years ago out in Wimberley at the Emily Ann, I think the capacity of that black box theater where we did that is something like 50 people. Okay. And we probably did about nine shows, like a, a three-weekend run of three shows. And so I've just put that into the calculator here, assuming it's something like $15 per ticket. That comes in around $5,500 yeah. um, in ticket sales for for that sort of production. So I guess the implication then is, a show like that's going to take more than five thousand five hundred dollars to put on.
0: Absolutely, especially a show like The Mousetrap. It's very period piece. You're gonna to have to find specialized costumes, which are going to cost you a little bit more. Uh, you know, you need certain special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in that show, there's a snowstorm outside, yeah. so you gotta sort of recreate part of a snowstorm there needs to be like a working fireplace things like that which are all gonna you know add up when you yeah. when you look at it in the hole it's like you're essentially go- going to have to build a house mm-hmm. for as little money as possible to make it believable yeah
1: and certainly in any production there are corners you can cut or ways to do things creatively like oh, definitely. in that yeah. one we didn't have a real fireplace we did have a lot of period furniture but we use lighting effects for oh, fireplace, sure. that kind of thing um But okay, I think we've pretty much hit where the expenses are. We've established the ticket sales are not enough to cover them. And we have alluded to grants, but what are the kind of general categories of sources
0: of income for theaters that aren't the ticket sales? That aren't ticket sales. Um, You could sell ads in your playbill. Those usually cover uh, the cost of, play, of printing your playbills, <laughs> which is which is always good to have. Mm-hmm. But if you get some, like a real go getter out there, somebody who can really hit the streets, go to local businesses, you can really sell quite a lot of ads. It adds bulk, but that's money that you get to see come back. And uh, what I what I always like to do when I sell ads is ask them if they want to create a coupon. Mm-hmm. So when they come back with the playbill they, yeah, they okay. you know the business physically sees it's working they're more likely to come back to you. Oh that's clever. If they could see that. Absolutely. Cool. Another one another good source of fundraising is an annual campaign. It's uh, it's something I've been trying to get the Gaslight Baker to do. What a big capital campaign is, you set aside one month where you have a goal that you want to reach, and you just hit that pavement every day. you get to talk to everybody. Mm-hmm. Every conversation you have for the next month <laughs> is going to be about what can you donate? Do you have five dollars today? Could you throw that in? Would mm-hmm. you mind? And uh, a big capital fundraising campaign like that can really save you a lot, a lot of headache later on down in the year i know Arts usually did theirs in january sh- starting right after christmas they would just they would go out to all their donors they would just ask 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 constantly but then as soon as february hit we didn't have to go back to our donors because they had already given everything that they could yeah and you have that money for the year yeah, that's great.
1: Do do organizations kind of differentiate between one-time donations they're asking for and recurring donations? I mean, is yes. is that something that's on the minds of, of arts
0: administrators? Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, a recurring donation is probably our favorite donation. <laughs> uh, it's something we're going to get every month. It's something we can count on. Uh, a one-time donation is just as good, but say they give $1,000. That's only $1,000 we can use one time. But they're mm. getting a thousand dollars a month. That's twelve thousand dollars. You know, it it adds up a little bit more, and you want to go out of your way to thank those people who who set up recurring so that they keep doing
1: it. And I know that there are a lot of tools in the modern world that are you know highly used in like the podcast space, like oh, yeah. Patreon, to get recurring donations. But are actual brick-and-mortar spaces like community theaters using the same tools, or are there other methods to try and get recurring donations?
0: They can. Uh, Hill Country Theater, we had a Patreon for a while, okay. right up until really COVID hit, when we couldn't get people together to create content for yeah. it anymore. But with live theater doing a Patreon type of fundraising... Can pose difficulties because you can't post full shows on there. You can only post right. so much before before copyright law comes into effect. Mm-hmm. So you're you have to come up with very creative ways to use Patreon. And I haven't seen a whole lot of theaters come up with you know the definitive answer yet on how to use. it. I think it's still too new, and you know fundraisers are they're sort of on the fence about how they can really use this.
1: I think most of what you've referenced thus far would probably be categorized as small donations or small donor donations. Yeah,
0: those are small donor donations. And
1: that's individuals giving to organizations just at an individual level, at a personal level. Absolutely. That's typically, I think, contrasted with either very wealthy individuals or... Organizations.
0: Yeah, those would be uh, more like sponsorships. Mm-hmm. That's like when you go to uh, see a Dallas Cowboys game, they're playing at the ATT Stadium. Yeah, yeah. So that's a big sponsorship to have their name on the front. It's, it's great if you can get something like that. I know one of the shows we were going to do, we actually had somebody underwrite the show for us. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get it up because COVID happened three weeks later.
1: Well, I I think I saw that there was a specific underwriter for the next production of The Gaslight Baker. Yes, absolutely. Blythe Spirit. Blythe
0: Spirit. Yes, somebody actually underwrote that show. Yeah, yeah. And that means uh, they have essentially agreed to pay for the rights to use that show. That's fantastic. So a lot of theaters vary this, um, how they credit that. Yeah. And that really varies about what you can offer, uh, you know, what your theater can offer versus what, you know, like a Broadway theater could offer. A lot of times it's just, you know, your name on the poster in the, in the credits, you know, like, uh, Walmart presents a Hill Country Theater production of The Odd Couple. Yeah.
1: At the, at the Gaslight Baker in particular, though, there is a large banner on one of the side walls of the theater that has a big display of all the donors for the past season, and I think yeah. that's updated every every year, right? It is.
0: That's updated every year. It's just one of the ways that we like to thank our donors for supporting us and you know believing in us, because they're not just giving fifty dollars here and, here and there. They're there for us. They're paying the fifty dollars, and they're coming to see the shows, and they're seeing the benefit of the theater in their community how do you make a pitch to an organization to be a sponsor when you're new
1: when you're a startup organization like like the hill country group that you
0: yeah when you're new it is very very difficult (laughs) that is for sure uh it's it's best to go to people that you know Mm -hmm. first say uh your dad owns a plumbing business Mm -hmm. ask him to underwrite a show for you ask him to be a sponsor for it the more sponsors you can get, the more it shows others right what kind they're of snowball, missing. hopefully, exactly. So if you get one, you can sort of get another, and then another, and then another. Okay. Barring you don't, you know, burn the place down, you can keep going.
1: <laughs> okay, so that's we've covered ticket sales, donations. From individuals Sponsors. and from large organizations, sponsorships.
0: Yeah. Now, there's one more I, I'd like to mention. Yeah. Uh, that's from incredibly wealthy donors or <laughs> uh, unicorns. Oh, okay. That's people who have millions upon millions of dollars. Right. And they just need to get rid of it for tax purposes. <laughs> I imagine not every theater gets to have one of those. Not these. every theater gets to have one of those. But what a lot of theaters do is called an endowment. If you can get yourself big enough and you can show that you're getting quality audiences, you're doing excellent work, you could start what's called an endowment fund. So that's when you can get a big donor, a Jeff Bezos type, to put $10 million into a specific account. Uh It's going to be high-yielding interest. Uh Then the agreement, five years, 10 years, 25 years – we will never touch that money, but we will use all the interest it gains okay. to run it every year, to run the theater right. every year. So like $10 million on a high-interest-yielding uh, account, you could probably make, I don't know, maybe $75,000 a year, and that'll help pay for, let's wow. say, all the rights for your shows. I, I
1: definitely hear the term endowment, the something endowment for the arts. Is that actually the, the definition
0: of an endowment? So the National Endowment for the Arts is a little bit different from – a bank endowment. Okay. The National Endowment for the Arts is uh, essentially a grant-giving organization through the U.S. government. They give it to local – they give it to states who then dish it out to, to counties, municipalities. And that's how – and you apply through them because they know what art is in their community. They know what they want to fund. Mm-hmm. You know, some fat cat in Washington isn't going to – doesn't really care about, you know, your production of an all-male version of nonsense.
1: (laughs) Oh, and then that's a perfect segue into grants, because I I have heard that you, Doug, are personally quite good at getting grants.
0: I have written uh, a few successful grants, that's for sure. Grant writing um, can be very daunting when you look at it. The first grant I ever wrote, I was probably scared every time I I opened up my computer to, (laughs) to, to work on it. I... But after you after you, you get the first one, mm-hmm. the first one I ever wrote was for uh, lighting and sound equipment for Thibodeau Playhouse in uh, Louisiana, and we got about twelve thousand dollars for brand new LED lights, microphones, uh, all the cables that go with it, soundboard, and and a new light board. And a lot of, lot of work goes into that. You really have to know so much about your community. You need to know who's is going to benefit specifically. Mm-hmm. And each grant-giving organization is going to have their own goals of what they want to see done. So you want to make your goals match their goals so that they'll give you money.
1: What is it that's intimidating about these grant applications? Because I've never seen one. Is it more that there are a lot of different types of specific question to answer? Or is it that it's... It is more of a persuasive essay that you're writing.
0: It's a little bit of both. The easiest grants you'll ever get are when they give you the questions to answer. The last one I wrote was for uh, the from Caldwell County, and they asked six questions, and they didn't they their board did not want to sit there reading all of it, so they said each answer you have fifteen hundred characters okay, just state your case. And while that may seem like it's like, oh yes, I don't have to do all uh-huh. that writing, you have to get a lot of information. You have to persuade a lot with very little, you know, wiggle room. Uh-huh. Uh and then there are other organizations that just, you know, tell us about your organization and what you want. Mm-hmm. And that could easily just be a page, it could be two, or you could write a twenty-page book about everything that your theater's been doing, what you plan to do, specifically who it's going to help, how you're going to use that money. How, how this is going to make a difference in so-and-so's life. Is there kind of an implication there that
1: the 20-page book is going to be more fruitful? Or do you just have to guess? You don't have any guess. You really do
0: have to guess. <laughs> it's, it's really a guessing game because you're you're essentially writing down your pitch to why you need, why you deserve this money that mm-hmm. they have. They want to give you that money. I'll tell you right now, grant organizations, Mm -hmm. they put that stuff out there because they want to give you money. Okay, They are – when they read your grant proposal, they're looking for reasons to give it to you. And if they read a reason not to, they don't give it. So you want to give them every reason why you deserve it. If
1: someone is – starting a new theater company right now or they are looking to expand what they're doing and they want to start looking at grants they don't have any yet where do they start looking
0: that's a good question grants you know a simple google search usually gives you your your first couple of grant ideas but what i found was most helpful is when i go see other shows i look to see who they're thanking in their playbills uh, the XYZ organization is listed up at the top and they're angels for giving over $10,000. Uh-huh. Okay. Why did you guys give that money? And so you go home, you Google them and go, oh, this is from a grant. Mm-hmm. Then you read over their grant application, what they're looking for, how they help. And if you think you can write something that fits that organization, you write it and hope for the best.
1: You mentioned Caldwell
0: County in particular.
1: Mm -hmm. What is the kind of average scale or what's the range of how local a
0: a grant grant granting organization (laughs) is going to be? Uh, That really depends on where you are. In Caldwell County, they've received a large amount of COVID funds and their grant director, great guy managed to persuade the state to give him uh, about half a million dollars of that specifically yeah. for grants for nonprofits in Caldwell County. okay, so it is completely up to his discretion how he he uses that and gives that out. So we were lucky enough to get about fifty uh, five hundred from that specifically for uh, live music, hiring local live musicians to perform and be part of our theatrical events, Great. as well as scholarships for students for the uh, for the acting camps that okay. we do. And uh, we probably gave out about $3,000 in scholarships to kids who normally wouldn't have been able to come out and do a, an acting camp with us. It's really boosted our numbers, and we're able to to show that to the community. And once you get a grant from one organization – and you show them that they made a difference, it becomes much easier to reapply Okay. for, for another grant for the same thing or for something new because they see that you can – that you get the work done. Again, a question from the perspective of,
1: of an organization who's new to grants. Yeah. If they start writing these applications and manage to get 10 out, what kind of success rate are we looking at here?
0: Do they need to be discouraged if they don't hear back from eight of them? Or No, don't be discouraged if you if, if you don't get a grant. What I always like to do is, uh, I mean, I probably failed as many grants as I've written successfully. Uh, I like to ask them, Hey, why did you say no to this, to this grant? And sometimes it's because we just didn't have the money. We, we found other people who, who deserved it a little bit more. And you can't take that personally. Other times it's, well, you didn't really fit our goals, what our organization wanted to do. I wrote a grant, gosh, years ago for, uh, I wrote it to a local zoo. Because they were giving away grants, mm-hmm. and I tried to, <laughs> I, I, I tried to get it in there. They're like, "Yeah, we don't, we don't see how this really fits our goals." <laughs> so that's why we said no. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, you know, don't ever take it personally when they say no. But you've had really good luck getting responses when you went and
1: asked that question, huh?
0: I have. You know, I, uh, I, I've been pretty lucky. I've written probably about five or six grants now, and I think only, uh, maybe two or three were actually denied. Uh, I know the last one I wrote did not get fully funded, mm-hmm. uh, but they did give us partial funding, which is something else you also be, be just be very thankful for. If, they, if you ask for $10,000 and they give you $20, you write the same thank you note, <laughs> you know, as if it were $10,000.
1: For multiple reasons. One, it's just the right thing to if do. But is. also, like you say, you're probably going to...
0: Be applying with the same organization again in the future. Exactly, so, yeah, build relationships. Exactly, that's exactly what you want to do. And as far as finding more grants, go to—I mean, your local Walmart gives out grants to really? uh, to arts organizations. They'll give it out to kids organizations. Those are a little easier to get mm-hmm. because each each Walmart is given a you know a specific amount of money that they can use for community grants. Huh And if you, you know, you get in with the manager who is essentially going to be the one deciding if you get a grant or not. And you can definitely get either a lot of store credit with them (laughs) or they'll actually write you a check for a very specific cause.
1: Well, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Same with HEB. Which, which is another uh, more oh, local. Yes, right. <laughs> A local. And,
1: yeah, H-E-B is, I guess, the Texas kind of premier grocery Absolutely. store, they're it's, it's very big It's here. like your Wegmans or your Kroger's, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to need to cover each of the, uh, the regions the in the U.S. Well, does that pretty much cover it in terms of the major areas of income from for community theaters?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, selling ads, individual fundraising, ticket sales, grants, yeah, those are really the the primary ways that you're going to make money. Do
1: you see a big difference in the the kind of percentage that ticket sales pay for of the overall budget between a truly community theater like the Gaslight Baker versus the the more professional organizations like the uh, the the Shakespeare in Pennsylvania?
0: Yeah, there is definitely a, a very big difference. You know, when I was working up at the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival, a uh, an adult ticket was forty dollars. Uh-huh when you come down here and you you look now a lot of community theaters are having to raise prices on ticket sales just to help cover just the basic necessities. Yeah. I could tell you the Gaslight Baker really just hopes to recoup the investment for their uh for the rights. And mm-hmm. anything they make after that is is good in their book. Yeah. Luckily they've had a quite a quite a good run since covid. Yeah. Uh people have just been craving live entertainment to be outside. So they've been real lucky. They've been able to get a, quite a bit of those funds back. And of course, the more people you have in your audience, the more chances you have to ask them for more money.
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess that actually reminds me of the one area that I forgot to ask about, which is concessions.
0: Is that just a footnote on the income? It is. Concessions is its own animal. Uh-huh. There's backstage, There's there's the house, and then there's the front of house. You want to leave all that to front of house. Concessions are going to look on your budget like they make a ton of money Yeah, when you look at it. But in the grand scheme of things, it's sort of chump change. It's sort of like you use that money to fill in gaps and things that you need. It, it essentially pays for itself and a little extra. Okay,
1: So I, I assume that when you say it looks like it's making a lot, it's not really because there's a lot of expense. You're only getting a small bump over what it costs to actually
0: buy. Yes. The right. You're, you're, yeah, that's what I meant.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that pretty well covers it. It sounds like we could have gone into <laughs> any of these areas and had a, a full episode on that. Right? But that's a great overview. So thank you for being here. Doug. Hey, it was my pleasure, Derek. Where can people
0: find out about the Gaslight Baker? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to find out what we're doing uh, and any information about how to donate specifically, yes. <laughs> you want to go to mygbt.org. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good-looking website, and it's uh, it's a great organization to be a part of. This has
1: been the Community of Theater
0: podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a
1: review. If you have feedback on what we discussed today, if your theatre does things differently and you'd like to talk about it, or if you have questions or topics you'd like to suggest for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you. You can find the show on Facebook. Just search for the Community of Theatre page. You can email the show directly, theater at gmail.com, or you can tweet at me, at Derek Smoots, D-E-R-E-K-S-M-O-O-T-Z. Thanks for listening. And if you're currently in a production, break a leg.